Likutei Sicha is Chelik Yutes, Volume 19, the second Sicha for Parshas Kiseitze. This Sicha will explain to us, according to the inner esoteric explanation of the matter, about the mitzvah of making a mica, making a guardrail around the roof of one's house. Also, how it connects to our lives, meaning the purpose of our lives, our souls coming down here to live in this world, and more specifically, how it relates to a young couple who is getting married. Now, it's interesting to note that this sicha was originally uh, um, delivered by the Rebbe on the 13th of Elul, which happened to be a Shabbat, in the year 1954, which is the anniversary of the previous Rebbe's wedding, the 13th of Elul. Later, when it was reprinted, meaning when it was prepared and in this format that we have it now, in the essay form, as a Likut for the Likutei Sichos, it also w- was prepared in honor of Shabbat, Parshat Kitetzei, in the year Tovshin Lamedches, 1978. And that actually, that year fell out exactly the way it was in the year where the previous Rebbe got married, that the 13th of Elul was on Friday. The previous Rebbe got married on a Friday, right before Shabbat. Let's go into it. So in our parsha in chapter 22, verse 8, it says, When you build a new home, Kisivna Bayis Chodosh, a new home, you shall make a guardrail to your roof. And then it concludes, because it says you should see to it that you shouldn't put any blood in your house, meaning you shouldn't cause anyone to get hurt. For the faller, the one who falls, will fall from it. Meaning if you won't put a guardrail, then you will cause the one who falls to fall. So there are two questions over here. Number one, it seems quite obviously that there's an emphasis here on it being a new home a new edifice. Because it says, Bayis Chadash. It doesn't say merely if you shall build a home, which implies it's a new home. But rather it says, Bayis Chadash. Why does the Torah emphasize, why does it add the word Chadash, new? Why a new home? We do know that in fact, this law of protecting your property and making sure that nobody can get hurt in your property, namely putting up a guardrail around the roof, is effective even if it's not a new home, even if you buy an old home, an existing home. It's true that the Sifri says that we do learn from the word new that you are obligated to put up that fence, you're obligated to put up the guardrail immediately when you assume ownership of it. Unlike, for example, the mitzvah of mezuzah, the mitzvah of mezuzah, you're really only obligated to put up a mezuzah when you take occupancy of the premises, not when you just purchase it, not when you own it, even not when you pay for the lease. That is true. But still, that could have been implied without saying the word new. There seems to be an emphasis on the word new, something about it being new. What is new about it? Okay, because remember, if you're purchasing an existing property, it's not really new. It might be new for you. It becomes new for you, but it's not inherently new. And it seems from here, the way the Torah spells it out, that it's an inherently new home. And the next question, of course, is at the end of the verse, where it says that the one who falls, the faller, will fall from your roof. Why does the Torah refer to him as one who falls even prior to his falling? 
It's just potentially that a person may fall from your home. Why do you call it a fall her? Why does the Torah say that he indeed fell? Now, it's true that the Talmud does tell us an interesting insight on this, that here we learn how one should be very careful and see to it that something bad doesn't come through him. Meaning, the Talmud says, Megalgalim schut al zakai. That Hashem makes it so that if somebody is already meretitious, then meretitious things come his way and happen through him. In other words, what's supposed to happen is supposed to happen anyway. This person was supposed to fall by God's decree all the way from the beginning of time. However, you see to it, says the Torah, that it shouldn't happen through you, that you should not become the catalyst for it. That's true. But why refer to the person as a nofel, that he already fell? Not as a potential faller, but a nofel, which is like an active term. It's almost like a, a title. He is one who fell already. Nofel applies to somebody who fell already, not to somebody who's potentially going to fall. So what is it about this person being a faller that the Torah is referring to? So the Rebbe tells us, in order to understand this, we have to get a perspective of things. That for and to begin with this, you see, in the Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, in the teachings of Rabbi Eliezer, he explains what the Talmud says that quote the world was created in a manner, meaning the globe, the universe was created in a manner that it's incomplete. What does it mean? It's incomplete. That the north side does not have a partition. Whatever that means, it's explained in the commentaries. We won't get into it. But the north side does not have a partition. So he explains, Rabbi Eliezer, why is this so? In other words, why is it that Hashem chose not to make the creation in a total, complete manner? Because if a person shall ever come and declare oneself as a god, as a deity, and claim that they have superpowers, then Hashem says to him, go ahead. Could you finish that? Can you finish what I did not finish? Can you finish that which is unfinished? You don't have the power to do it. So this is to give us a constant reminder and awareness that there's something beyond us. There's a power that's greater than us, that we're not all. We're not it. We're just here to serve that purpose. And in fact, says the Rebbe, we also find this in our intellect. This concept that we're always depending on, dependent on something above us, something higher than ourselves, we find actually to exist in our intellect. Although when we use our intellect, it's about our minds and our rationale, but still, any whatsoever concept that one is contemplating, we always have to rely on some preset rationale, on some concepts, so, so to speak, rules of intellect that already pre-exist, that don't necessarily have an intellectual meaning and understanding to us or to anyone. There are just certain facts. Let's say for, I'm using my own example now, the Rebbe does not bring this in the Sikha, but let's say in mathematics, there are just certain facts that whether we understand them or not, but whenever you want to make an equation, you want to come to an understanding of an equation of something to calculate something, you must rely on it. In other words, it's something that although you're using your own Seichel, your own intellect, to understand, to understand it and to work with it, yet you have to rely on something that is beyond, something that is above your own seichel or one's own seichel in order to be able to 
uh, have the tools to go about the understanding of that thing, or if it's in math, the equation, or whatever it is. And the same thing, says the Rebbe, Lahavdil, we see also in the Torah. The Torah is comprised of two general sections, two general parts. We have the revealed part of the Torah, that's like the, the legal part, the law, the Talmud, the Mishnah, and so on. And then we have the Nistar, the hidden part of the Torah, like the Kabbalah, the Hasidus, the, the inner part of the Torah, the esoteric part of the Torah. What is the difference between the two? The revealed part of the Torah is one that really connects very much to the person, and it is revealed. That means although it is godly intellect, we do understand that it comes from a godly source, but yet you don't really see fully and absolutely godliness in it. Why? Because the human mind can wrap itself around it. The human mind can understand it. The human mind can develop ideas and thoughts within the Torah to the extent that even a non-Jew is capable of understanding most of the concepts in the revealed part of the Torah. Therefore, Hashem made it that there are certain things that, there, that, in, that to, the, to the fullest extent, one cannot understand it in the revealed part of the Torah, in Nigla the Torah. That means they reach a certain glass ceiling beyond which you cannot go. And in order to have a better insight, in order to have a better appreciation, one has to refer, one has to rely on the secretive part of the Torah, the Nister the Torah, the esoteric part of the Torah. And that constantly gives us a reminder that even that part of the Torah which is revealed to us and you don't see so much godliness is, re is, is reliant on and dependent on and fully and absolutely leaning on that part of the Torah which is hidden, which is obvious and clear that it is directly from God. So the same thing we can say over here. It's true that the questions that we asked above regarding the mitzvah of Micah, of the guardrail, it's true that perhaps in the legal part of the Torah, in the revealed part of the Torah, there isn't really much that we can explain or really fully appreciate why it says new and why it says that the person already is a faller. But however, when we refer to the inner meaning of it, a little deeper, esoteric, spiritual meaning of it, that will help complement and explain to us why the Torah, although it was giving us a legal, so to speak, a dry, rigid, legal, legal um, concept, yet it based it on the foundation of it being chadash, of it being new, and it being a faller. In other words, there is also the spiritual aspect to it. So the sages tell us, to understand this, the sages tell us that when it says, quote, bias or beso, his home, we find this, for example, on Yom Kippur by the Kohen Gadol, when it says that he should atone on behalf of himself and his home, his household, says the Talmud, beso zu ishto, that when it says, quote, his home, when it says home, this really means one's wife, one's spouse. Which means that the inner and esoteric meaning of this verse is as follows. When a person sets out to build, to construct, to develop a new home, a person is getting married. 
there is a new home being built. In fact, the, the greeting that we give, the wishes that we share for a wedding is it should be a binyan adiyah, it should be an everlasting edifice. You're making a building, you're building something, you're bringing two souls together. So when your person is building a new home, and in this case, let's take the common example. You have a yeshiva bachar, somebody whose entire life he was engrossed or should have been engrossed in the, in, in the study of Torah, in spiritual activity, no real distractions, doesn't have a wife, doesn't have a house to support, doesn't have a mortgage to pay, doesn't have a, a, a car loans and so on. He's involved in a, in, in a spiritual world. Suddenly he gets thrust into, he needs to get married. And this is, of course, not by his own choice only, but the Torah says he should get married. And when you get married, the Torah says that you are now responsible to support your wife. So now he has to get involved in worldly matters. He has to get involved in endeavors that are a little somewhat foreign to him, at least up to this phase in his life. He has to, in other words, he is transitioning into a new phase of life. He's building a new home. Says the Torah that you have to make sure to make a guardrail. You have to establish goalposts, boundaries, precautionary lines in order to make sure that you don't fall. And how does the Torah refer to him? That the faller should not fall. You see, because in this sense, the person now is going into a whole different, transitioning into a whole different mode of activity. This mode, compared to it was before in a very... A lofty spiritual world, totally removed from active connection to the material, even though he did eat and sleep and so on. But remember, typically as a student, he was supported by the yeshiva, he was supported by his parents. He didn't really have to engage in an active manner in procuring a living, in supporting, in, in, in purchasing and, 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 and endeavoring of how to have more material things and less material things and this and the wife and the gifts and everything else. Suddenly, he falls into it. Notice the word, Hanofel. He is a faller. He fell into it. He fell into this, says the Torah, make sure that you don't fall further. In other words, the fact that you're a faller, the fact that you fell into this mode, this new mode in your life, this you transition into this new phase, that is something that the Torah wants. That is dictated by Hashem. That is part of life. But you need to set up your mica, you need to set up your guardrail that to ensure that you do not, God forbid, fall from this falling state. You do not become connected and heavily involved, engrossed in the material. Yes, you need to use the material. Now you need to care about the material. Now you need to be involved about it and concerned about it more than ever before but not to fall into it. Now the Rebbe takes this a step further. This is not only a lesson for people who are getting married, but this is also in fact about us, all of us, every single Jew. What happens? Our neshama, our soul is up there in a spiritual realm. And then it's forced to come down into this world. We also find that the body is at times metaphorically compared to a house. It's like a housing for, this, for the soul. And with this house, what is the purpose? That we're making a new home. What does it mean we're making a new home? With the soul comes down into this world and continuously lives in this body, in this house, 
For what purpose? To generate something new. Notice the word new. What is that new thing to generate? First of all, it's new to it, to the soul, because it's continuously foreign to it, so it's like a new thing. But moreover, and here is really the, the impact of it, it's always there to accomplish a new, a novelty. What is that novelty? What is that new novel idea that is there to accomplish the novel thing? To take the material of the world, which is really antithetical to godliness. It doesn't have a connection to godliness. And take that, take the material of the world and transform it to elevate it, to purify it and bring it closer to Hashem. And that meaning that that is the whole purpose of the soul coming down. To accomplish this chadosh, this chidush, this novelty. To turn the material of the world, to turn it into something effective, effectively godly. And that's that is actually not only something that affects the world, but also for the person themselves, through this avoda, through accomplishing this and transforming the world around oneself and turning it into something godly, something lofty, something spiritual, it doesn't only transform the world around you and the material of the world. It also transforms the person themselves. It's also chadash for you, it's new, it's a novelty for you, that you become elevated, the person becomes elevated exponentially and disproportionately beyond what the person would have been elevated had they only been engaged in spiritual matters, not, you know, in material matters, as the Torah says, you're building a home, you're involved in elevating this physical, material part of the world around you to godliness. The person becomes anew. The, the person be, experiences this novelty of becoming a greater person. However, in order to achieve this, one needs to build a guardrail. One needs to be, build precautionary lines. You see, we find the concept that whenever one is going from one level to another, Albeit, even if the previous level was a fantastic level. But when you're going to a higher level, when you're transitioning into something greater, there has to be a phase, there has to be a mode in between of absolute bitu. Bitu literally translated is self-nullification. What does that mean? I'll give you the example. We find, it's described, that what happens in Gan Eden, in Gan Eden, People are in heaven. The souls are in heaven. When a soul ascends from one level of Gan Eden to another level of Gan Eden, goes to a higher level, which we know happens constantly all the time, it first needs to immerse in the Nahar Dinur. It's like a special spiritual river in which it gets cleansed from the previous and it's now prepared and it's totally purified and ready for the next level. And the question is why? It wasn't Ganeid until now. It's a very holy, pure place. But the idea is that in order to achieve something new, you have to kind of like, almost like reset. You have to almost wash away what's there before that that should not serve as any whatsoever obstacle, as any whatsoever confusion, the previous level, and when you are now trying to ascend to the next level. And we find various examples of this in, in, in the Talmud. Another example, which is not quoted over here, per se, in the Sicha, but also is reminiscent of it, is the story that the Talmud says that Rabbi Zera, when he traveled from uh, Babylonia to Israel, in other words, he finished studying 
everything that he felt that he could accomplish in Babylonia, in the Babylonian Talmud, and he wanted to now go to Israel, that they studied on a whole different level, and a whole, like a different plane of study. It says that he fasted a hundred fasts in order to forget. That didn't mean to forget literally, but it means that it shouldn't confuse him. It shouldn't interfere with this new mode, this new way of learning, in order for him to be able to fully absorb and be just totally occupied with this mode without having any whatsoever anchors, chains, pulling him back to that other mode that he was accustomed to. So likewise over here, when a person wants to achieve that chidush, that novelty in the world and in oneself, says the Torah, you have to make a guardrail. You have to make safeguards. You have to make precautions. Literally, obviously, not so you don't fall into the worldly things, but also spiritually. You have to do a declaration. You do a, 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 an action which exhibits the fact, that demonstrates the fact that you have total beetle. You see, the, the virtue of one taking upon themselves extra precautions and extra stringencies, it, by virtue of that, that is an act of bitu, because that's saying it's not about me, it's not about what I want or what I may want, it's about the one, the will of that which is higher than me. And I'm setting up precautions that I should never fail that will. So that is the bitu that one is doing in order to be able to reach that high level and appreciate that chidush. What is the lesson for all of us from this? It's obvious that first of all, a person has to know that you have to build a new home. Meaning, a person cannot choose to be religious by proxy. Meaning, by removing themselves from the world and saying, I will have no connection to the material world. I will not be engaged with it because it's dangerous for me. Rather, a person has to build a home. A person has to be in the world and with the world has to elevate it to godliness. But at the same time, you must make those safeguards. You have to make sure that the world will not pull you down. That at the same time that you are occupied with the world, at the same time you are separate from the world at the very same time. And of course, this is especially a lesson for a couple who's getting married and most specifically for the chatan, for the groom, that he's told, listen, you're doing something of utmost importance, not only for yourself as a, as, as, as a, as a young couple that's getting married and is now going to become one family. You're also doing this for the, the, the totality of Am Yisrael and for Hashem. But at the same time, you have to remember to take the precautions. You have to set up boundaries. You have to set up guardrails. Why is that? You see, because here is where the Chatan may make the mistake. The Guru may think and say, look, it says in the Talmud that on the day of one's wedding, both for the Chatan and for the Kala, for the bride and the groom, it says, that all their sins are forgiven. They start off with a brand new slate. That's why it's like Yom Kippur for them. It's a brand new slate. He's like a new person. So if that's the case, why do you take any precautions? I'm going to a whole different mode of living. I'm going on to a whole different level. And I have a clean slate. Why the precautions? So first of all, the answer is you have to be careful about what the future holds. You want to be involved more than before in the material, in the mundane, in order to generate a living, in order to support your family, in order to have a family, and so on. But moreover, Remember that even though Hashem forgives your previous sins, but your habits from before are still there. And for that, you need 
that precaution. And this is a sum total a lesson for us as people in general and specifically for a couple who's getting married.